You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, it is Monday, August 21st. Eclipse Day. Just prior to 10 a.m. in the morning, we're recording this episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast uh, pretty early because you have to go get an injection in your spine. That's right. Sounds terrible. It's not as bad as you make it sound just then, but I, I'm not going to sit here and call it a pleasant experience. Well, is it, you you get these periodically, right? So like, is this, uh, is it old hat to you to now have them stick a needle in your spine? Uh, the last one was more unpleasant than previous. So it makes you a little nervous going in for the next one. The worst part about it, honestly, is that since it's like technically surgery with like, anesthesia and stuff you can't eat or drink for eight hours beforehand uh, so we've got a low energy low brain power ben folks on the podcast today lower brain power than normal somehow it seems baffling that that's possible yeah I, I mean here we are the moon is going to block out the sun i have even lower brain power than normal it's a upside down kind of day now if if i'm correct we're going to be recording this thing during the eclipse right i think we might wrap up just in time for the Just world to grow dark. For, for the eclipse. And, and which, we're kind of in the path. We're not right in the totality path here in Missoula, Montana, but we're like in like the 98%. Yeah, zone. it's going to get pretty dark, I've heard. Yeah. Which kind of, now that I mention it, makes me feel uh, a little bit, I don't know if scared is the right word, but like what if something freaky happens and mm. I'm stuck here with low energy, low brain power Ben Folks? What if we're sitting here, the lights go out, so to speak, they come back on, I'm dressed in your clothes Living your life, and you're dressed in my clothes living my life. I just don't think you have the explosiveness today to make that happen. <laughs> you are. Wait, I'm living your life? I would just, I would kill myself right away. <laughs> I would run out in the, in the dark in front of a car. Because you can't handle it? I could, no. You're, you're not strong enough to live this life? There'd be no way I could handle it. Kind of, it's, it seems, since we're going to talk a lot about Mayweather-McGregor today, it just seems right that we're doing it on the, the day of the, of the near-total eclipse of the sun. Nothing is normal. Everything is crazy. Here we are. Once again, this episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast is brought to you by Battles of London, the world's only designer fightwear label. The homies at Battles of London wanted to thank everyone who stopped by the booth at Polaris Pro Jiu-Jitsu this past weekend, as well as organizers Matt Benyon and the, and the company for bringing world-class Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to London. I saw a bunch of people tweeting about it. Looked like a cool event. Yeah, it did. Uh, of course, things roll on for the Mighty Battles of London crew. Uh, they've got two new Dempsey t-shirt designs that go live on the website this week, and you can still use the promo code CME to go get yourself 10% off. That's right, Chad. Remember when we told all the little cone maniacs out there about the Battles of London magazine, which puts out both print and online editions? Well, issue two of that bad boy comes out later in September. Uh, reaction to the first issue was fantastic, and the follow-up features contributions from some of the finest names in combat sports journalism, alongside top-flight photographers from the international-style magazine circuit. So you'll be upset if you don't check for that. Uh, plus, Battles of London will have a restock of their high-end signature T-shirts and sweats around that same time or soon after. Go to the website, battlesoflondon.com, to check it out. And as always, if you want something they're out of, you can email them, and they'll help you out. We've been telling you about Battles of London for a few weeks, now it's a really cool company out of the uk that makes exclusively designed cutting edge sportswear pieces custom engineered and cut with athletic physiques in mind signature training t-shirts are made in a tempered fabric for com comfort when sparring or rolling and they look and feel great in or outside the gym battles of london sweats hoodies and tracksuits are roomy and luxurious if you need something to wear after training or you just feel like taking it easy which is obviously something i can relate to it's all good stuff go check them out now at battles and enter that promo code CME to save 10%. Follow them on Twitter, at Battles of London. Check them out on Instagram and follow them on Facebook. We've been overjoyed to meet the guys behind the company over the last few weeks, and we urge you to get out there and support Battles of London. Uh, we got music again this week from our guy Eric Fontanez and the MMA Media. If you like what you hear, you can find more of his music at soundcloud.com slash Eric Fontanez, and you can find his writing over at bloodyelbow.com. 
Three rounds, as usual, this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, on Saturday night, Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather are actually going to strap on those goofy eight-ounce gloves and box. What the fuck, man? How is this real life? And in round number two, what do we think is actually going to happen? Are we giving McGregor too much credit, too little credit? What will he do? How will Floyd respond? And how will the people who paid $100 experience their buyer's remorse once it's over? And in round number three, what's next for Conor McGregor? Does he go back for the UFC? Does he box again? Does he emerge from this spectacle a bigger star or as damaged goods? All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but like we always do about this time, Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Christopher Kitt. Do we check on that? Do we? I think Christopher, Christopher Kitt's, Kitt's a, a real person. Yeah, right? he's a known. He's a comaniac. He's he's known to the Comain event podcast. He writes nothing personal to JDS, who probably is one of the nicest guys in MMA, but fans in MMA media campaigned long and hard for effective drug testing. Now that it's in place and some fighters are popping, why are MMA media treating them as victims? The vast majority of athletes who provisionally pop are later found guilty. The only exception I can think of is Courtney Casey. I mean, what do we want if we defend fighters who look to cheat? Uh, why don't we do away with USADA and go back to keeping fight cards intact? Your thoughts? Well, I don't know if it's so much that MMA media are treating those people like victims, but we have seen a trend where somebody will test positive for something that is, does not feel like cheating, even if it is running afoul of the USADA code, either that it's, you know, tainted supplement that they can actually prove, or like Leota Machida taking something that uh, seems innocuous and he just didn't do his homework enough to know that it was on the banned list. It, there's enough of those that... I think you at least, when you hear the news, somebody has been notified of a potential anti-doping violation, as they love to word it, you at least owe them a little bit of caution before we jump right on the aha, cheater, you're caught train. Don't you think? Um, yeah, I guess I have mixed feelings about it. Um, I, now that we have, now that we've like fast forwarded a ways into this USADA drug testing era, I guess you could say it still seems like there's not an MMA fighter walking the planet that will ever cop to having knowingly ingested a performance enhancing drugs. Uh, I think that the examples of doing that are few and far between. In fact, I think it's a little bit refreshing, right? When somebody comes out and says, all right, I did it. I got yeah. caught. I'll serve my suspension. Uh, and then I'll be back in this case. Junior Dos Santos's team says, I believe it was a diuretic that he tested positive for. Yeah. Uh, so not necessarily a, a performance enhancer. Um, and I think, aren't they saying tainted supplements or no? I think, the, I think that's what they're saying. So uh, we've heard this tainted supplements thing come up over and over again. Uh, a few times it has been like proven accurate. It's been borne out by independent testing from USADA. Uh, which Other again, times it's been Brock Lesnar's foot cream, though. That's, so. that's right. That's right. Uh, it, and it opens up a whole can of worms about the entire supplement industry and what, what these professional athletes are putting in their body and whether or not they should be more careful about the stuff that they ingest, which um, I think we can all answer our own questions too. I, I, or I agree that like it's wrong just to jump to a place of guilt in these cases. And, uh, it is only like the lousy track record of professional sports in general that calls for us to do that. Uh, uh, on the other hand though, like I do think that there are cases where like Dan Henderson's TRT use, for instance, even though Dan Henderson like never tested positive, uh, for being over the legal limit of, of, uh, testosterone and hormones in his body. I still feel like we give him kind of a pass as part of the TRT era, just because maybe he really was older than some of the other guys who were doing it. And because everybody likes Dan Henderson. Right. So I get a little bit of the same vibe out of this junior Dos Santos sure, yeah. positive test. Like, uh, people like junior Dos Santos. He's a nice guy. Yeah. If people like you and you are a nice person, I think that they're more apt to give you the benefit of the doubt. Like maybe even if you don't deserve it. And obviously I don't know one way or the other here with junior Dos Santos, what the truth is, but, and I guess I would fall back on saying this though. Like that's just, that's what happens in life, right? If you are a nice person that people like, uh, you get more chances than the person that, that is kind of an a-hole. Well, and if we had our suspicions about you beforehand and then you come up positive in a test, it's probably going to go worse on you. And so I think there's a variety of those factors, but I have seen this and it's not a, like a sentiment that I, I absolutely cannot understand where it comes from. I, I get what people are saying when they are basically like, Hey, doesn't it seem like the USADA era kind of sucks? Doesn't it like, it seems like we're getting a lot of these positive tests for stuff that doesn't exactly feel like we're cleaning up the sport. 
and maybe it's because we feel like there are way too many like positive or tainted supplement defenses that end up working out or stuff like this where uh, it just doesn't seem like this is what we pictured it as. We pictured it as we got this guy. He was on Stanozolol, nailed him. Case closed. He's suspended for two years, and he's, we're going to make an example out of him, and everybody else is going to stop doing it. And it, it hasn't really happened like that. And I can understand people getting kind of frustrated and being like, I don't know. I kind of want to go back to the athletic commission day of let's all stick our heads in the sand and pretend it's cool uh, kind of testing. I don't think that that's the answer here. I think it's tough to kind of put that toothpaste back in the tube. But I can understand the frustration where it feels like you're we're catching people for either being lazy or being kind of dumb about how they do their supplements rather than people who are actively trying to cheat. And, I'm, and we are catching some people who are actively trying to cheat. I'm sure we're seeing some, some of that. But it doesn't feel like uh, the just complete cross-the-board crackdown, I guess, that we expected. Do you think it's acting as a deterrent, though? Because like, I kind of feel like it, sure is it is. In, in, a, in I don't know if a lot of cases, but I feel like it, it, it is acting as a deterrent in, in some instances. I'm sure it is if you have to worry about USADA showing up at any time to test your ass, that's got to be, that's got to factor more into your mind than when you could be like, all right, I'm fighting in Nevada on this date. I know when I'm going to be tested. Everything's cool. You know, you have to factor that in. Uh, but I also, I thought when we first embarked on this, that the punishments were going to be the thing that played a big role in uh, being a deterrent, just that the the longer punishments, more severe punishments, you weren't going to go show up to the Nevada commission and be like, I don't think I use steroids. And then they go, go, okay, your, your suspension is now six months. And you're like, Hey, that's basically nothing, man. I'm, I was only going to fight a couple times this year anyway. And I don't know. I, I, it doesn't feel like we, it feels like we've seen a whole lot of these instances where if somebody comes up positive, they have an excuse, they go through the USADA thing. You don't see a whole lot of like two year suspensions being handed out. No, that's true. And I think the implementation could probably be better, but I'm still glad that the system is there. Uh, and I'm kind of, kind of a hard line stick in the mud kind of guy as far as wanting to believe that the athletic contest that I'm watching is on the level and, and, uh, a competition, competition between two people who are going to, uh, figure out who the better fighter is and who the better athlete is and not necessarily who has the better doctor. Right. Uh, well, you know, one thing that does worry me about USADA, and this, of course, comes from my media guy perspective on it. Um, have you tried getting a comment out of USADA recently? I have not. They used to be really responsive. First of all, before they signed the UFC uh, contract, really responsive. Uh, then right after that, slightly less responsive once the papers were signed. And now, like, I tried to ask them recently because somebody pointed out in my Twitter mailbag, hey, Ronda Rousey hasn't been tested at all this year. And she hasn't officially retired, as far as we know. Um, she was tested, like, nine times last year. So what's up? And trying to ask somebody at USADA if they have any kind of explanation for why that is uh, was surprisingly difficult. It was a whole bunch of, like, emailing the last person I talked to at USADA and getting an automatic response that said, I don't, I don't work for USADA anymore. Email this person. Then you email that person, and you get the same automatic response. It's like, okay, now email this third person. Uh, and you keep going down the line like that and never got any response on it. And you're just thinking, this, this doesn't seem like a great sign for openness and transparency, but okay. Next question this week comes to us from Gary Neville. Oh, Gary Neville. Famous uh, English football player and coach. Okay. Gary Neville, I feel like we've just really jumped the shark on this thing. Uh, you he, mean by getting so many fans who are famous English football yep, players? That must be what it is. Uh, he writes, so they've announced Game Bread versus the Wonder Man, and that's got me thinking. What happens to a fighter when they fail to defeat the champion on more than one occasion? Do they just keep fighting until said champion is dethroned by someone else? What gives them the motivation to keep going? So Ben, Stephen Thompson, the Wonder Man... Going to take on uh, Jorge Masvidal Gamebred down there at uh, UFC 217. I think that just became official a couple of days ago. Uh, I guess I'm going to start with by asking you this question because I think it's like kind of an awesome welterweight matchup. But has the has the shine come off the star of Stephen Thompson in a in a way that that uh, has you less excited about this fight just because of those Tyrone Woodley bouts? No, because I think Tyrone Woodley has shown that he can have some boring bouts against a lot of different people. And I'm not ready yet to be like, okay, Stephen Thompson isn't fun anymore. Because you know he can go out there and throw like one crazy spinning kick to the top of somebody's head and we'll be right back on that shit. You know everybody will be all about it then. So if he goes out there and does that in this fight, 
everybody will forget that they ever had any kind of concerns about him. But I do think that's a, a good question because historically we've seen like the cautionary tale of Josh Koscheck, for example, uh, when George St. Pierre looked into his future prior to their second fight, how if you, especially if there's a dominant champ who holds it down there for a while, and if you've had a couple cracks at him, the UFC is not usually that interested in giving you a third one, especially, man, can you imagine Tyron Woodley holds onto this belt for a long time? No one wants to see Woodley Thompson three at this point. So, you would be in a really tough spot where you, I mean, I don't know if it's just a question of finding the motivation of uh, how to keep going, but for the UFC to find something to do with you, like you would have to change something because you just, it doesn't almost wouldn't matter how many fights you win. You probably wouldn't get another shot. Right. And that's understandable from like a marketing perspective, right? Because how does the UFC go out and try to sell a third fight with uh, Stephen Thompson and Tyron Woodley, considering how that second one, especially went, uh, and I think part of it also depends on what kind of uh, what kind of marketing piece you are for the company. Like I think we've seen in the past that people like Uriah Faber and maybe Ronda Rousey uh, get get a lot of chances to to fight in title fights, not necessarily uh, over and over again against the, against the same person. But I think we've seen that, like especially now in the era that we're kind of into this uh, spectacle uh era of fighting where maybe strict competition is taking a backseat to how much money everybody's going to make uh you know if you're a person that they feel like can sell pay-per-views you're probably going to get more opportunities to fight for the championship than somebody who is not and i don't know that steven thompson has proven himself to be a significant uh draw for the ufc as of yet uh so this he he especially is in kind of a tough spot here because it's hard to imagine him working his way back into a fight against Tyron Woodley. It's hard to imagine him competing at another division, right? He seems too small to me for 185 and probably too big for 155. Uh but that said, this matchup with Jorge Masvidal seems kind of awesome, doesn't it? Does it does seem kind of awesome. And I yeah, I mean I could see a lot of ways for that to be a fun fight. I don't know. I mean I think maybe uh 185 he could he could make a go of it if he absolutely had to. I'm sure he'd probably rather not be forced into that situation. I also think if you're if you're the Wonder Man at this point, maybe what you're hoping is that the UFC isn't so enthusiastic about Tyron Woodley as UFC champion. If he loses that belt, they're probably going to try to keep him far away from it. That might open up the door for you to get in there and get another shot at it. Next question this week comes to us from Chris Decker, who writes, Antonio Bigfoot Silva has his next fight planned in China, where he'll kickbox against glory heavyweight champion Rico Verhoeven. Uh, since May 2013, Silva lost seven of his MMA fights by way of knockout, and he also had the bloody war with Mark Hunt in between those fights. Any normal human being would think it's probably not the best career move to have your first kickboxing, kickboxing match against the best heavyweight kickboxer on the planet, but here we are. My question is, if something really bad happens would happen to Silva, who would be more to blame, Glory or Silva? Uh, well, I mean, I don't think the real risk in a situation like that is that something bad is going to happen in one fight. I think the risk here is that something bad is going to happen over an accumulation of fights. And I think that that's probably what we're in the middle of right now with Bigfoot Silva. Uh, and this is disturbing to me to see him do this because, for one thing, Maybe it's just that the move from MMA to kickboxing here after you've taken a bunch of losses and knockouts in MMA reminds me too much of Gary Goodridge. Um, but it also like, you're, so you're going to go over to kickboxing and you're going to fight a dude where, you know, you're not going to have a significant size advantage over him and he's younger and faster. Like he's just going to carve you up. Like you're going to go over to kickboxing and immediately face like kind of the toughest dude that you can face right there. It's going to go badly. There's just, I just see no way this doesn't go badly for Bigfoot Silva. And then what? You know, I, that's what kind of worries me is because you've seen all these knockout losses. Like he's getting knocked out like at least like, you know, basically two times a year for like the last several years. That is not doing you any favors, man. Yeah. A collective sigh, I think, floated up out of the mixed martial arts world when we saw this news that Bigfoot Silva is going to go kickbox against Rico Verhoeven. Uh, maybe he caught a little bit of that McGregor fever, huh? Jumping right in there against the best in the world. Just a lot fewer zeros probably on the paycheck. Yeah. Which is seems like an important thing to to point out at this point. It feels like a move in the wrong direction for Bigfoot Silva. Like if you were going to change sports, I would think moving away from the head trauma might be uh, the safer choice. And now we're just moving toward more of it. Well, I, you know, and I 
did a story on this. I talked to his manager, Alex Davis, who's been his manager for a long time and, and you know, considers himself his friend. And he was saying he, that he did not think this was a great matchup for Bigfoot. But basically that he needs money. He wants to, he, he needs to make a paycheck and this is how he does it and he wants to keep doing it. Uh, and I think that that is, you know, the tough situation that you see a lot of those guys find themselves in. And that again was something I heard when I did that story on Gary Goodridge talking to like his friends and family and stuff and them saying like, yeah, you know, he knew at a certain point that he should stop, that he should get out of this. But also by that point, he'd been a, a pro fighter for like 15 years and had no real work experience and nothing really on his resume except for pro fighting. So what was he going to do? And it was like, okay, he could go try to find a job like, you know, it could be like a security guard at the mall or something, or some promoter calls up and says, hey, do you want to make $25,000 in two weeks uh, by signing on the dotted line here today? And yeah, like that's what he kept doing over and over again. Uh, and that stuff is like, I, I couldn't understand them saying like, hey, we think we've done the testing. We think he's fine and everything. But you don't always know. You don't know until sometimes it's too late uh, what the end bill of all this stuff is going to be on your health. And it just, especially taking all these knockouts so close, like he just, you know, Bigfoot Silva just got knocked out by Vitaly Minikov in that uh, Russian fight in June. Now this one's going to, in October, you know, I don't care who you are, this is just not good for you to keep doing this. And especially if you're just doing it because you need a short-term paycheck, what's the long-term plan there? Boy, not to go from one topic to another, but our next question here from Andrew Millington, who writes, Matt Brown versus Diego Sanchez at 170 looks awesome at first, but upon further review, seems like it'll make me feel really sad afterwards. Yeah. Thoughts? I mean, yeah, for, if you like, you just want to take it from a pure mixed martial arts matchup point of view, like Diego Sanchez against Matt Brown is going to be a slobber knocker, probably going to be very fun to watch. Uh, but just like Bigfoot Silva, I feel like Diego Sanchez is a guy who over the last few years has given us, given everyone cause for concern about how long he's going to be carrying on doing this as a mixed martial arts fighter. And especially with Diego Sanchez, who almost everybody in the industry who has dealt with him in any, in any uh, capacity, and especially, you know, as a reporter, I've talked to him, I know you've talked to him, everybody comes away saying like, oh man, Diego Sanchez is a, is a great guy, a nice guy, uh, you know, accommodating, seems like a really, has a big heart, a sweet guy. Uh, and it, it's painful to watch him to continue to accept all of this punishment. And now you get an amazing uh, matchup against Matt Brown, but another one where you know what Matt Brown likes to do. And you know what that Diego Sanchez is going to be very much willing to entertain that style. And so, yeah, the, the possibility that, uh, that we all come out feeling a little, a little upset about it is, is pronounced, I would say. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't see any way for this not to end badly for Diego Sanchez because it seems like the kind of fight you make because you know he's going to go charging in there. And but then against you know a bigger and really sharp, violent striker like Matt Brown, it seems like he, you know another one of those where he is going to have to put a lot of blood on the mat just to even get his game going. And I think what we've seen recently, like even his ability to do that, it's kind of diminished with age. Uh, but yeah, I it it made me sad when I heard it. So I, I know exactly what we're what we're talking about here. Yep, four and six for Diego Sanchez in his last ten fights. Uh, kind of uh, sobering, I guess, to think that at one point he was twenty one and two back in uh, that would have been two thousand nine, right before he fought BJ Penn for the lightweight title. Uh, so he's gone from from twenty one and two to twenty seven and ten uh, over the course of about eight years. So a lot of uh, a lot of coming out on the wrong end of it for Diego Sanchez, and a lot of really violent fights for Diego Sanchez. And they're not doing the thing anymore where they pay you to retire. So keep that in mind. Well, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says Email the Podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days uh, when we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short, it's informative, we would like to think it's funny, and if you don't like it, it's still really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one.
Well, Ben, it's fight week. Woo! As we sit here today, we are, what, five days away, six days away from uh, Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather actually climbing in a boxing ring and doing the damn thing. Now, I guess just to open this thing up, Ben, like me, do you feel like your brain has not really processed the reality of this thing going down? Like, even after all this time that we've spent talking about it, I feel like it still seems like such a fantasy that I cannot actually picture this fight occurring, even though I know it's going to. Really? I don't feel that way. I feel like I am eager to get this one over and done with and move on with our lives. But I also feel like it's kind of weird how, for one thing, the... It's weird to me to remind myself that the actual real buildup to this has not been that long because it feels like it's been a third of my life that we spent talking about Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. And now that we're finally close to it and I'm thinking, okay, so I can soon look forward to a day when I can wake up, check my favorite MMA websites, and not just see wall-to-wall Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather coverage – is that going to be a bizarre feeling for me? Have I just have I grown accustomed to this being our lives now? I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be like afterwards, but I am kind of glad just to be like, okay, finally we can stop talking. Because like I was out Friday night and I walked like into a bar to use an ATM and I just I was in there just long enough to hear somebody be like, dude, bro, Manny Pacquiao couldn't even lay a glove on him, and I was like, no, I can't. I'm out of here. I'm ready to be done with that. <laughs> Uh, I just had a story come out on Bleacher Report today that is about the making of this fight where I talked to all of the principals, all of the promoters about how this happened. And one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting about that in retrospect is how for all of those years and months that we talked about how this fight could never happen and it was not a real thing and it was just a fantasy, almost all of the people involved in this fight felt the same way. Like, they almost all were like, no, we didn't think this would happen. We did not think this was a real thing. But, like, the actual uh, catalyst of the fight is is super simple and super, like, uh, 2017 in that Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor both noticed that every time they would tweet or Instagram about each other, the internet would go crazy. And eventually they were like, they came around to the idea that maybe just talking all of this shit had produced a thing that could, in fact, uh, draw money. And so they, they, then they started to talk about it seriously. But so you're saying this was the fight that likes made? Everybody's smashing that like button. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, everybody. That, uh, <laughs> that convinced Maybe we need them, to be a little more judicious with our likes. Yeah, that, that, that convinced them to do that. And the other thing that I found kind of fascinating, like we all, especially on the MMA side, we, con- we expected this sort of contentious contract negotiation between Conor McGregor and the UFC. And then I think maybe because we had all lived through the Manny Pacquiao negotiations, we expected a contentious contract negotiation between the UFC and Mayweather promotions and Showtime once that all got done. And it seems like those things didn't really happen. Like it seemed like maybe things were rocky between the UFC and Conor McGregor at first, but also everyone sort of agrees that once they all sat down and started talking about it, it was kind of a, a simple and painless process and, and on both sides, on both contract negotiations. And I think that the actual truth of the matter is that all of these entities and personalities and egos sat down and were like, we are going to make so much fucking money on this thing that like nothing else matters, that yeah, we can well, put everything else aside. Let's not be dicks about it. Let's all just go get wealthy. Yeah. Is what you're saying? Yeah, which is kind of an amazing story in and of itself, don't you think? <laughs> that is. The, the triumph of greed over like petty personal animosity and over everything else. Yeah. And it's additional Cash rules like, everything around them. Maybe one, one of one of the most uh surprising things about it is the aspect of the UFC and Showtime kind of working together because in that case you've got two big companies both of whom make their money selling combat sports pay-per-views and both of whom uh have very different uh, ideas of how to do that and very different methods in how they sell their fights. And as I think anybody who has followed the Mayweather McGregor story or has been around combat sports a long time knows, uh, Dana White and Steven Espinoza don't get along. They don't like each other. And yet, once again, you've got this event that's so massive that not only are those two 
companies kind of working together to get this thing done, but they're both promoting it at the same time, which is also something that we've never, ever seen before. Like Showtime is doing all of its classically Showtime stuff, like having a music video with the killers, right? That promotes McGregor uh, Mayweather. And at the same time, the UFC almost independently of that is doing all of its normal stuff, like having embedded and, you know, Right. Dana White talking about screaming at people about about Polly Malinaji and stuff like that. So like the the fight is like this weird animal that I still don't know if we're totally sure whether it can happen, but there are a lot of things to me about the promotional effort and about the lead up that I think are fascinating. Does it make you think it'll be easy for it to happen again? No, I think it'll be hard for I mean I think for it to happen again. Like say, for instance, we turn right around and try to book McGregor Malinaji. I think it de- I think that depends very much on how this fight goes. Like if Connor goes out there and looks much much better than we expect him to and is like somehow able to make it competitive against Floyd Mayweather and everybody thinks that they can make a ton more money on McGregor Malinaji then yeah, they'll do that. But at the same time like do you think that's going to happen? Like I don't think that that there will be a market. I don't think that there will be an incredible market for future Conor McGregor boxing matches, and that's what you need to make these things happen. Like, it can't be just a normal market for a Conor McGregor boxing match. Uh, it has to be a huge thing. And I just don't, unless he wins, and then you've got to run it back and do McGregor Mayweather 2. Oh, dear God. Uh, then, I, I mean, I just don't know that. I don't know that you will see it from these two guys, and I don't know that you would see it from anyone else. Because to make it happen again, you would have to have another Conor McGregor and another Floyd Mayweather. And it doesn't seem like either sport is anywhere close to producing another of those two gentlemen. Right. But then the thing that people have said, and I think not inaccurately, is that after he goes out there and makes like over a hundred million dollars from all sides in this Floyd Mayweather fight, then you want him to come back and fight Khabib Nurmagomedov for what, like six million dollars or something? Like, how do you how do you convince him to come back to MMA paydays uh, against you know in MMA in the MMA world against who's available for him out there now? After something like this. Right. Well, and I think we're going to talk about that more in round three, but I think one of the big questions is what Conor McGregor's priorities will be, because we all know he's going to make between 75 and $150 million probably to fight Floyd Mayweather, which is going to mean that he won't necessarily be fighting for the money anymore. Like he will definitely want to get paid a lot of money, as we have seen historically with Conor McGregor. That's kind of one of his whole deals. But like, Maybe that won't be his biggest concern anymore because he will he will have already set up his family for generations to come. And, you know, he talked at his open workout in Las Vegas last Thursday about legacy. And, like, it's easy for me to believe that Conor McGregor is a guy that cares about legacy. I think we all know about the uh, his motor mouth and his left hand and the fact that he uh, loves that money. But I also think, like, he seems like a cerebral enough dude that he, and we've talked about this before on the show that he understands those moments the right. moments of history the Where's beats of belt? history as yes. they're happen as they're happening where's that other belt so i do find it plausible that he's a guy that will care about his legacy and when you think about it that way maybe it starts to make more sense that he would come back and and fight tony ferguson or fight habib nurmagomedov in russia like even for a reduced paycheck i think what conor mcgregor will be interested in is kind of like these big spectacle moments or like big important moments in the history of mixed martial arts. Well, the okay, when you talk about the fact that now you're starting to come to terms with the that this fight is actually going to happen, do you think that even for the people who have suffered from a little bit of overhype fatigue from this fight, that now that it's fight week and now that you can actually feel like you can almost reach out and touch the thing and, and kind of pull yourself forward into fight night – and the fight week stuff is all going to start happening now. Do you think that that kind of gets you through any fatigue you may have been feeling? And or even the people who are like the cynics who are saying, oh, I know what this is going to be. I'm not going to buy it. Do you think that once the, the hype gets really going this week and you start to feel like, oh, man, it's all really happening. Do you think even some of them get won over? I think that there's going to be some tremendous fatigue. I think there all already is. I think. Can you imagine if they had decided to have this in December? As with that, like, those were essentially their two choices, either like late August or the end of the year, just to get out of the way of all of the sports, uh, fall sports calendar. Like, that would have been interminable to try to go through this thing to the end of the year before these guys fight. 
Uh, so I think there already is some fatigue. I think that that Conor McGregor, as he always does, will do a great job selling us on this thing the week of the fight. Uh, I think that a lot of people, a lot of hardcore people will probably end up uh, watching it on Saturday night. I think we all know the feeling, right, of like thinking you're not going to watch a thing and then kind of seeing the build up and being like, oh, God damn it, I'm going to watch it. And then you watch it and then you regret having spent 100 bucks on it. Well, yeah, and well, I mean, that's what we'll get to in the next round. But I do think that that's what, you know, when we talked about this fight after it was first kind of officially made, and one of the things that we said was, uh, for one thing, we said, enjoy the buildup because this is where the real excitement is going to come, but also that part of the appeal of this is going to be that it's going to feel like a big moment, yeah. like a big cultural moment somehow, and that what you're paying for is the opportunity to kind of live along with that live, like not to be the person who like watches you know a replay on Showtime a month later, but to actually be there and feel like you're a part of it when it's happening and have that same frame of reference with everybody else who's in the same boat. And so I do think that that like they have succeeded in making this feel like a big cultural moment that yeah. you want to be a part of. It's a question of I guess if you want to, if you wanted enough to pay a hundred bucks for it. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that to be honest with you. Like obviously we moralize a lot about this sport and and hardcore fans wring their hands a lot and complain a lot about matchups and bookings and stuff like that and this fight isn't necessarily expected to be all that competitive but at the same time this is a thing that you will probably never see again like this is a if you like combat sports is that a promise can you make me a promise <laughs> it's, on that? it's everything but a promise i mean i we would have said the same thing about uh pacquiao mayweather and that was two years ago and here we are again so who knows but like it like I, the way to bet i think is that this is the only time you will ever see the biggest star in mixed martial arts fight the biggest star in boxing uh, in this enormous spectacle, this enormous sort of like gleaming circus fight that no one knows exactly how it's going to go down or 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 what will happen. Uh, and it's easy to criticize the whole thing, I think, but there's also an aspect of my personality that, that just thinks, you know what, uh, we should just watch this for what it is and kind of like experience the moment. And I don't necessarily know that there's anything uh, – like indefensible about that. I think that that's a fine way to think about it. Okay, fair enough. You want to do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on to round number two. Yes, but only if you do Are You Fucking Kidding Me first so I can locate mine. Okay. Uh, ben, I don't know if you saw this this week. There were reports out. Uh, UFC fighter Jake Ellenberger had to go to the emergency room after his young son, I think it was his son, uh, threw an iPad mini up in the air, as kids are apt to do, just especially if you have boys, just chuck stuff. Uh, and hit Jake Ellenberger right in the eye with it, right under the eye. He had wow. to go to the emergency room, looked like maybe he had to get some stitches. Uh, Jake Ellenberger's Instagram post uh, says that he was worried that he was going to lose the eye for a while, but it seems like he's okay now. So I guess I'm just saying, are you fucking kidding me? That seems like the most Jake Ellenberger thing ever to happen. Yeah, it really does. Just terrible luck for Jake Ellenberger, it seems like. Also, you saying that this is a thing you could imagine happening, especially now as the, the father to two boys, really gives me an appreciation for my two girls because this is not really something I worry about. Just items just being weirdly thrown out of nowhere. It yeah. doesn't really happen that much in yeah, my the, house. The, 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 uh, the throwing ratio is way up over here these days. <laughs> yeah? Yep. Wow. Okay. I guess I'm going to go home and, and count my blessings, especially when somebody uh, cries over a lost wristband. Um my, are you fucking kidding me? And this one is more of just a very sad, are you fucking kidding me? Brian Stan, UFC commentator Brian Stan, announced today that he is leaving his role as commentator for the UFC. Uh, it says on his Instagram that he has been, quote, offered an amazing leadership role with a fast-growing real estate firm and will be attending Northwestern for my executive MBA this fall. Are you fucking kidding me? We're losing Brian Stan? What? Chad, yeah, it's. I what mean, it's the a, hell, man? It's a sad day for us, but like I saw that you just tweeted, hopefully good for Brian Stan, which I think hopefully is the right good, take. Hopefully good for Brian Stan. I mean, I, he mentions in it how much he had to travel to do the UFC commentating gig, um, but man, like Brian Stan was the best. He was the best, and we're losing him to a fast-growing real estate firm. Chad, are you fucking kidding me? You know what's going to be awesome, happening? though. You know what's going to be awesome? Having Brian Stan in your MBA classes over there at Northwestern, like showing <laughs> okay. up on the first day, and maybe maybe you know who Brian Stan is, maybe you don't, but I bet he's going to be awesome having him in the classroom. I just, you know, if he was announcing that he was leaving to run for Senate, like then I guess I could I could take it a little better. But also, like, 
how much uh, Todd Grisham or whatever am I going to have to listen to now? Is it some? Because if so, I'm disappointed. Those business school professors, professors better have their shit together. That's all I'm <laughs> saying. Better. I don't think Brian Stan is going gonna, is gonna to stand for any nonsense no. in these classes. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, now we have a chance here to talk about what's actually going to happen in this fight. And I want to start by hitting you with a fact that seems utterly insane to me. I bet I know what it is, but you go ahead and lay it on me. The odds on a Conor McGregor victory, according today to Forbes.com, plus 300. That's like, you know... You could just find way crazier odds on just a UFC undercard. Yeah. Well, three was, to one. Yeah, he's three to one now. He's four to one last week when I wrote that story. And like, didn't he open at like 11 to one or something like that? And then came, came down because of all the action on McGregor. And you can understand why, right? I mean, McGregor inspires a just fierce fucking loyalty. There's going to be a lot of people out there on Twitter with like, McGregor or the Notorious or something in their Twitter handles with pictures, like Photoshop pictures of Conor McGregor as their avatar, who are going to love the chance to bet on the Conor McGregor fight. So that collectively just kind of people are excited about doing that. And so they're going to bring it down a little bit. But it still seems crazy to me that the odds would look like, you know, a fairly competitive uh, UFC featherweight title bout. Yeah, his, the odds should be much longer than that. I think, as I've said on the show before, my belief is if uh, Conor McGregor wins this, it will be the greatest update or upset in the history of modern sports. Yes. Because it's like if a really good rugby team beat the New England Patriots in a football game. Yeah, and that's our first football game ever. Yeah. Um, they just got the pads a couple months ago. At the same time, like, can can you think of anyone else in the history of this sport uh, maybe the history of sports period where like part of your brain is like, this guy's been doing this the whole time. Everything he has said he would do, he has done. Some of it seemed crazy. We did not think he would beat Jose Aldo. We did not think he would beat Eddie Alvarez to become the champ champ. Did think he would beat Eddie Alvarez, and, but okay. And at this point, obviously this is way out there, even for Conor McGregor. But if he went out and knocked out Floyd Mayweather in the first round, wouldn't part of your mind brain be be like, well, fucking Conor McGregor does it again? Yes, part of I mean, it would be more like my mind brain would be shouting that because it is it would be such a colossal upset. I would also then ask him like, okay, tell us what to do about climate change. Tell, look into the future. <laughs> Clearly, you have a power, like you have a gift that the rest of us just don't have. Let us know what peak oil is that what we should be worried about? What should we should I buy copper? Tell us, tell us, Conor McGregor. What? That's what I would ask him then because that would be so like it would not be just like a minor upset, like, huh, didn't think that was going to go that way. It would be a huge, colossal fucking upset. It would, by all rights, I think, make him a pivotal, pivotal sporting figure like in modern times. Yes, it should put him on the list. With, like, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, he would be on there somewhere. Which is to say that we're kind of saying that we don't see how this could ever fucking happen. Well, here's the question. Here's what this round is supposed to be about, Ben. What? How will this fight look? What will we see here? What will Conor McGregor have? And what will he do? And at the same token, I guess we have a better idea what Floyd Mayweather will do. But I don't know that we got a lot. Out of the Conor McGregor open workouts, I don't know that the Polly Malinaji sparring footage is, as we said last week, anything more than like a Bigfoot video. I don't think there's much to draw from there. What do you see happening in this fight? What do you see, especially from Conor McGregor? How does this go? You know, I've thought a lot about this. I had a lot of time to think about it. I think that Conor McGregor is going to surprise at least some people who are just thinking like, well, 
there's no way he even deserves to stand in a boxing ring. Uh, I think that he's going to go out there and to some extent he's going to look like he can box. But I think that the, especially the way that Mayweather, like the way his style is built is such that like, even if you have the opportunity or, you know, you have the promise of one big left hand landing at any moment, it's just so hard to get that clean shot on him. I think that McGregor's going to get frustrated. Uh, I think that after a few rounds of this, like you'll see the the same thing that I think a lot of Mayweather opponents have done, where they think, "All right, I'll just pressure him. I'll just keep saying in his face," and then they find that that's harder to do, uh, or especially as the rounds go on. I think that he'll probably get worn down a little bit and fatigued and frustrated. I expect to see a little bit of like get in the clinch and see if you can throw him around a little bit, like both just as a way to try to take Mayweather out of his game and because consciously or not, I think Conor McGregor's going to want to do some of that stuff so that afterwards he can say, hey, if this was a real fight, this would have gone way different. So I expect to see some of that. And I think also maybe they even realize you need some of that to give people like a sense of excitement, a sense of like, hey, maybe anything really can happen here. But I think that uh, he's going to get worn down and chipped away at uh, and probably finished. I, I think that like if, if people I were talking to beforehand were saying like like Marcus Davis was saying, I think it's an embarrassment for boxing if Conor McGregor lasts longer than six rounds. Um, I don't know if Floyd Mayweather have quite that sense of urgency about it, but I do think that you know once you kind of get past that midway point, you'll start to see the the fatigue and the frustration and Mayweather just kind of piling up damage on him, and I think he gets stopped. Is there any way we're just thinking about this the wrong way? That like yes. 29-year-old Conor McGregor against 40-year-old Floyd Mayweather, who hasn't had a fight in two years. Conor McGregor will be the bigger guy, the bigger athlete. He will have, I think, a longer reach than anyone Floyd Mayweather has ever fought before. Floyd Mayweather has historically, quote-unquote, struggled, although I think you got to speak of that relatively, against southpaws. Uh, is it possible? Yeah, name that one we, who beat him. If, that's what well, you can't. If yeah. you, are we going to come away from this? When it's over, just being like, there was a lot of evidence here that we should have paid more attention to. Or like, is this just cut and dried greatest boxer of all time against a guy who's probably has less boxing experience than any of Floyd Mayweather's sparring partners? Yeah, well, I mean, I I don't want to completely discount the age and time off and that kind of stuff. And the possibility that maybe Mayweather did not take... Conor McGregor too seriously. I think he's trying a little too hard to sell that angle, like by telling us, I'll be partying in a strip club the entire week before my fight, which feels to me like a real calculated effort to be like, hey, maybe I'm blowing this shit off and therefore it'll be more competitive than you think. Um, but I still think that if you go out there, 40 year old Mayweather or not, you know, if it's the 38 year old one who beat Manny Pacquiao, Obviously, it's not like he just fell off a cliff athletically, and it's not like he took a bunch of damage in his career to where like a 40-year-old version of Mayweather would be the 40-year-old version of some other boxers. I still think it would be a huge achievement for Conor McGregor in his first boxing match of his life to beat Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, I think he's going to get a couple licks in, and I think the cabillion dollar question is whether or not his game-changing power that he has in, in mixed martial arts translates to boxing. Uh, do you think that there's anything to the idea that Conor McGregor just might be very unorthodox, that Floyd Mayweather is programmed to respond to conventional boxing attacks the way a conventional boxer would, and that Conor McGregor will have uh, combinations and attacks that are just different from that? Sure, that's possible. And it's possible that you just get, you land one big punch. But I also think that we have to take into account Landing one big punch in boxing is not always the same as landing one big punch in mixed martial arts because you land that one big left hand and, you know, if you rock him with it, Mayweather is a savvy enough boxer to where he's going to make it difficult for you to come in there and finish him. You know, he's going to be able to tie you up. Or if you drop him, then he gets a few seconds to collect himself and then the rounds are only three minutes long. So... You you would have to jump on him right away. Depending on when in the round you drop him, he might just be able to survive to the next round and then get back on his his Floyd Mayweather shit. So it's not it's not as simple as can you land a left hand once. Yeah. All right, I'm going to set up, I guess, round three this way. I think that it's a win for Conor McGregor if he even makes this thing either more competitive than we think it's going to be or more fun. And I think he could go about doing that in a number of different ways, which we've talked about, I think, before on the show. 
Uh, I don't know that he goes the distance. I don't know that he's going to get tired either. Like I, I I would be, I would not be surprised if McGregor has really good cardio for this fight and that he's ready to go the 12 full rounds. But I just think like if he comes out of this thing looking like a human instead of looking like sloth from the Goonies, uh, and having performed even slightly better than we expect him to have done, that it will be like a promotional win for him. Do you agree or disagree with that? Yeah. I, Danny Downs and I were talking and trading shots this week about kind of our, our hopes versus our actual realistic expectations for this fight. And Danny was saying, like, well, all I really ask is to be entertained. Uh, and I mine was similar, but basically, like, don't make us all feel like idiots for doing this. Like, uh, don't make us feel like we all got suckered into the, the tent at the carnival to see the bearded lady and she was clearly wearing makeup and a, and a fake ass beard. And then we file out to the cars and it's a long, slow march back as we all look around at each other and go, well, we just got took. Like, if you can make us not feel like that by the end of this, I will consider that enough because he can still always say, you know, even if he gets completely trounced, but like, is able to hang in there for a long enough time or is able to, you know, like you said, either make it fun or competitive enough to where he can say, Hey, I gave it a shot. Like I did this, you know, kind of historic thing and made a historic payday for it. Like I gave it my best and everybody will say, yeah, you're right. You did. Uh, and that'll be fine with me. Um, but if it goes out there and you know, he can't land a single punch on Mayweather and Mayweather puts him away in a round and a half or something, or if, he can't do anything and Mayweather refuses to do anything except, you know, just enough to beat him over the course and it's a boring ass fight. Then, then I think there'll be a lot of buyer's remorse across the board. I want to live in the timeline where Conor McGregor wins just for like 24 hours. And the reason that I want to wake up and realize it was all a dream. It doesn't matter. Like I just want to see how insufferable we all would be on the MMA side. You and me included everyone, the Irish fans, the MMA analysts, McGregor's people, people that hate McGregor. I just want to see like how insufferable and how much we would revel in it. Really? If, I would have to mute everybody who has an Irish flag in their That's what avatar. I'm saying 24 hours. <laughs> okay, like, after right. that, we can switch back to the normal timeline. But I just like I kind of want to experience it. I don't know why. Yeah, it would be something. And it would maybe be awful. And that's going to do it for round number two. We'll talk about what will be next for Conor McGregor in round number three. That starts right now. Well, Ben, I asked everyone that I talked to leading up to this Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather story whether or not they thought this was a big risk for Conor McGregor to cross the line and step into boxing and fight a guy who was arguably uh, the greatest boxer of his generation. And, I, you know, I kind of expected that Dana White would tell me he didn't think that it was a big risk for Conor, for Conor McGregor. You kind of expect that Adi Attar, Conor McGregor's agent, will tell you that he doesn't think that it's a big risk for Conor McGregor uh, just because he's he has the guts to cross over and be out of his comfort zone and fight Floyd Mayweather in boxing. But Leonard Ellerby from Mayweather Promotions and Steven Espinosa from Showtime also told me that they don't think Conor McGregor is taking a risk here, that Floyd has everything to lose, and no matter how this goes for Conor, he will be able to go back to the UFC with his full marketability uh, and drawing power intact. Do you believe that? It, I think a lot depends on how it actually goes. I think for, like we've talked about before, for a certain subset of fans, there's nothing Conor McGregor could possibly do to make them jump ship. He has a kind of a, a Trumpian support base at this point where, I don't know if you saw like at the New York Times just had an article about where like, hey, it seemed like Donald Trump had a terrible week last week. And yet among the people who consider themselves Trump fans, no movement at all. Like, everybody's still saying, like, okay, we're still absolutely here. And I think Conor McGregor has the same kind of thing. I mean, he hasn't had to really test it the way Donald Trump has. But the people who are down with McGregor are down for life. Yes. Uh, and no matter what he does or says, I think that they're going to stick around. But I do think if if you go out there and just get clowned, 
like by Floyd Mayweather and you get put away and it doesn't last long and it doesn't seem the least bit competitive and everybody goes away with that buyer's remorse going, oh, Jesus, what the hell did we just – we just got taken by a huge scam uh, so all these rich people could make more money. Then when he goes back to the UFC, it seems like kind of a, a sad homecoming. Like, okay, like you got – you dumped your girlfriend because you thought you could do better. Then you found out you couldn't and you tried to get back with her. And it worked, but it's kind of sad seeing you come back in into the party. I don't know, man. Like, I think that it will have a very different feeling. And a lot of Conor McGregor's appeal is built off this uh, just premium shine to everything he does. He's walking around in, in mink coats without a shirt on underneath, uh, talking about how what a transformative fighter he is and what a big deal he is. And it gets a little bit harder to maintain, kind of the same way where Chael Sonnen keeps doing the, if you're the best in the world, they got a name for you, it's Chael Sonnen. And it was kind of funny back in the Anderson Silva days, and now it's just kind of sad to see. I think it would be a similar type thing to that. Yeah, um, I kind of agree with you. And the big uh, chance here for Conor McGregor, aside from the fact that he's going to make you know, $100 million or whatever in this fight, is that he will be exposed to, in theory, a whole new group of pay-per-view buying customers right and so one of the big wins that he could have in this fight is to come away with some of those people as his fans who will then follow him back to the ufc and and buy his pay-per-views there and i agree with you that i think to get that crowd he has to have a better than expected performance and the truth is like conor mcgregor has this very uh committed base you're right about that Conor McGregor, I think, has most hardcore MMA fans. I think at this point we have come around to the idea that we will watch Conor McGregor fight. But the truth is, like, the hardcore fans and then that that rock-solid base that he has, that's not what makes Conor McGregor an enormous star. Like, th those are mostly MMA people. The thing that makes anyone in combat sports a big draw is is the casual people, the people that can take you from 350,000 pay-per-view buys to between 800,000 and a million pay-per-view buys, right? Or 4 million pay-per-view buys, as the case may end up being for Mayweather McGregor. And I think that those people are the people that you risk losing if this whole thing looks like a uh, carnival huckster scam. Yeah. Uh, well, but then... Like, I think the risk of it looking like a Carnival Huckster scam is relatively small. Like, I mean, I think that they'll, they'll be able to pull off enough to where everybody will walk away going like, okay, that we didn't get completely taken. Like, I don't want to say Floyd Mayweather is going to go out there and carry him because, I mean, you've seen when Floyd Mayweather will build up a fight and then is not at all afraid to make it a boring Floyd Mayweather fight in order to win the damn thing. But I do think that, you know, say you go out there and you get like, you know, he gets in the clinch and he foot sweets him, the, the kind of stuff we talked about before. He, he roughnecks him a little bit. Uh, and maybe he get maybe Conor McGregor gets stopped in the sixth round. How about that? All right. Let's say, let's say maybe he, he lands a couple punches. Uh, maybe there's enough moments to make you hold your breath a little bit. Um, but then it, you know, after four rounds, Mayweather just takes over, starts pouring it on him. Six round TKO for Floyd Mayweather. Then what? Yeah, I think like I think if that's the case, I feel like Connor really has to make it fun. Like if Floyd goes into the Floyd shell and is just very defensive and, and doesn't open up, I feel like Connor needs to do like the hands behind his back thing. He needs to do like a couple of crazy spins, not necessarily like a spinning back fist, which we all got cleared up as illegal in boxing uh, during the early stages of this hype movement. How about head kicks? Can he kick him in the head? Oh, I just think he need like he needs to do some of that like crazy Connor stuff that he does in MMA. Maybe like the weird. Uh, martial arts stance, you know, some of the stuff like that, just to like, uh, try to make it interesting and exciting. And I think if he does that, he can come out of this, uh, feeling like he got a, a win, even if, if he actually lost the specific boxing match. Uh, well, what do you think he does after this, man? Like everyone in the industry seems really, uh, committed to the idea that he's going to go back to the UFC and fight there again. Do you think he does that? And if so, like, what kind of matchups do we see for Conor McGregor moving forward? It's really hard for me to imagine a guy making this kind of payday and then being like, all right, Nurmagomedov, where are you at? It's hard for me to picture. Yeah. And he, I think we've said all along about Connor that he's not going to be a dude who's out here fighting when he's 40. Now, he's only 29 right now. So in some ways, it is 
difficult for me to imagine him just disappearing Kaiser Sose style. Like he's just going to take his bazillions from the Mayweather fight and just leave. I, I kind of doubt that. But another thing that we've always seen from Conor McGregor is that everything he has done has been bigger than the last thing unrepentantly, like even when he lost to Nate Diaz, he handled it so well that they came back in their rematch, I believe is the biggest selling fight in UFC history. Uh, and from that standpoint, it's hard to imagine what he can do that will be any bigger than the Floyd Mayweather fight. But I do feel like there are some things in the UFC that might be interesting to him. We talked about George St. Pierre last week, even though that might be, you know, great and terrible to have Conor McGregor fight for the middleweight title if George St. Pierre has it. Uh, I think Tony Ferguson would be interesting. I do think Nurmagomedov, if you could make it feel like an event, uh, feels interesting. But I also agree in, in a certain way with you that it's hard to imagine how Conor McGregor gets bigger than this Mayweather fight, and it's hard to imagine him sticking around for a long time if he can't. Maybe he channels T. Ortiz and insists that Dana White fight him next. Before he will agree to return to the UFC, Dana White must fight him. Do you think it would be a good move for Conor McGregor to try to get some boxer to come fight him in the UFC? Like, he, you know, he's fighting Floyd in a boxing match. Is one of the moves to get on the mic after this thing's over and say, like, you know, I had the guts to, to follow Floyd to boxing. Let's see if there are any so-called top boxers that want to fight me in the octagon. Because you're not going to get Floyd. No. But maybe you could get some. Could you get Pauly Malignaggi? <laughs> I don't know. How bad does Pauly Malignaggi need money? It sounds like pretty bad. Okay. Right? So that's always going to be the question. Um, yeah. And then, sure, maybe. maybe, But I don't know. I What I wonder is we, we talked about the fatigue. I wonder if people's appetite for this kind of thing will be severely diminished afterwards. Cause, and this is one of the things, too, like that when Danny and I were talking about, and I mentioned that, how what it's going to be to be in the post-Mayweather-McGregor world where you don't have to see this stuff just plastered constantly all over every MMA website and even like mainstream uh, coverage getting in on the act. And I wonder how it's going to feel. If Are we going to feel like, okay, now we can just get back to the real stuff and stop with all the circus things? Or will we be like drug addicts where like the pleasure centers in our, our brains have just been burned out by the overabundance of hype and we're chasing that high forever, but we can never get back there again? I think it's going to make, what's the next one? UFC 216? Aren't we getting uh, Nunez and Shevchenko and uh, Ray Borg and, and Demetrius Johnson? Right. Is that all on one card at 216? I think that one is going to feel like... Uh, mom's sunday dinner like we've been away at college 215 actually 215 yeah. we come back uh and mom cooked a lasagna and it was delicious oh hey thanks, we can mom. spend a half an hour with our parents kind of reliving our childhoods i think that that one is there's going to be a great comfort there for the mma people in ufc 215 after where we go from there i have no idea yeah me neither but i don't know i i do think that if you turn right around and you try to make another one of these style fights uh, it's it might just feel like you know some youtube viral sensation has tried to make another video that's exactly the same except slightly shittier and everybody's like okay no we're done we were done we we enjoyed it but we're done one of the things that did not make it in my story but uh dana white told me when i asked him about the future of of attractions like this and any more fights like this sounding very much like what is he, like 47, 48 years old, something like that now? And a dude who's been the president of the UFC for almost two decades told me, I can't do this every weekend. <laughs> Neither like, can I, we, He man. was like, I'm, I need, I'm trying to run my own company here. I cannot do an extra boxing thing every weekend. Zufa boxing? But they got the t-shirts already. Well, the, and the t-shirts, you know, why not? T-shirts are dope. Yeah. Let's just say it. Uh, all right, well, let's do Just Saying Stuff, and then we will get out of here for this week. Uh, and I assume next week we will wrap up Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor, and then this show will, uh, assumedly returns to normal. Yeah, even though we're both wearing each other's clothes by then because of the eclipse. Okay, well, yeah, I guess I shouldn't count my chickens before the eclipse happens. Any weird stuff could happen. Ben, what is your just saying stuff this week? I'm just saying I know what you're really looking forward to. You're really looking forward to getting through this weekend getting through all this Mayweather, McGregor nonsense, and then settling in on Saturday afternoon-ish on September 2nd, get yourself a bowl of popcorn, fire up the old fight pass, 
for Alexander Volkov versus Stefan Struve. Oh yeah, is that is that when that's happening? Just like soaking yourself in like a lukewarm cup of milk. <laughs> I'm just saying. Just saying. I'm just saying. I think there's a college football game that, that day. <laughs> uh, ben, I'm just saying. This week, uh, our colleague over at MMA Fighting, Chuck Mindenhall, who we all know is super talented and has an eye for this kind of story, has a good one out today about uh, Artemis Sitenkoff. Which I assume I nailed it. The uh the fighter that beat Conor McGregor uh back in, in McGregor's kind of uh independent MMA days. The Sittenkoff is currently selling the trunks, the very generic red trunks that he wore, uh that when he beat Conor McGregor at auction for charity, which I have no idea who's buying that, to be honest with you. But I wanted to read you this quote from uh, Sittenkoff about his own MMA career. This is the, him about the twilight of his MMA career. He says, Since I couldn't make it to the UFC, I quit training, and I was just fighting for fun. Since I was the guy who beat McGregor, I had a lot of offers, and I got some money for that. I was thinking realistically, they want a guy who defeated McGregor. I'm not training. I may not be the greatest fighter of all time, but I can still have a good time. And I get to go to different parts of the world to fight, to most definitely lose, to get some money, but it's fun for me. So maybe six or seven of my last fights were like that, just for fun and money. So I'm just saying, Artemis Sitenkoff seems kind of awesome. I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. Well, that's going to do it for this week's Co-Main Event Podcast. We will be back next week, depending on how this eclipse goes. Who Hope- knows? Hopefully with uh, stuff to talk about, maybe about Mayweather and McGregor, maybe about just about mixed martial arts. Who knows? As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. What if, like, after the eclipse, I look over, and suddenly you have a goatee, and I realize, oh no, it's evil, Jack Douglas. Yeah, I've been switched. That's right. The evil power switched me with the evil power. And we have, your friends have to work to somehow contain you until the next eclipse on the regular